Hello and welcome to Drinking Matters. In this series, Dr. Beat Kuhlman talks about public houses and social exchange in early modern Central Europe. In this first episode, Dr. Kuhlman introduces the subject and reviews the themes we will be exploring in these podcasts. My interest in public houses was first raised for personal um, matters. I mean, everybody has uh, certain places they like to go and uh, share a drink with other people. Many people have travelled, they went to other countries, experienced all these different types of establishments. But as a historian in particular, you just get struck by the uh, multitude of sources that public houses appear in. Alcohol was a powerful social lubricator and all kinds of social exchange were therefore recorded in early modern documents, in late medieval sources. And this is a good indicator for us to uh, say that a phenomenon must have played a major part in a society of the past if it generates that much uh, documentation. It testifies to the multifunctionality of the establishments that we get insights into the social economic, political and even religious life of the period by looking into inns, tale, uh, taverns and alehouses. The public house, I felt after looking through these various types of records, is something like a microcosm of uh, pre-modern societies and therefore worth looking at, I think, in some greater detail. The approach that I took uh, for this study was to try and treat inns, taverns and alehouses as social sites, therefore adopting a spatial approach to pre-modern Europe. Uh, the idea was that we perceive public houses and related social sites not as static frameworks for human exchange, as unchanging containers, if you wish, but as dynamic environments shaped through the interaction of different players and agents and premises and atmospheres, therefore making this a rather versatile in environment. So on the one hand, the approach, I think, is spatial, trying to see the multifunctional and the ever-changing sort of character of these premises, and then also realizing that sort of interaction could have ambivalent outcomes. It could be uh, both a sort of a stabilizing force in these societies, it could be a force that could threaten uh, the order that existed at the time. So I suppose apart from the spatial it was also the sort of comparative and long-term approach to the um, subject that was at the centre of my attention to examine both uh, types, main types of public houses over a longer period and in different specific environments. The case studies were meant to be particularly uh, representative of very prominent uh, characteristics of the period. So they had to uh, highlight uh, differing constitutional and religious environments and in the end I settled for the Protestant Swiss Republic of Bern and the Catholic German Principality of Bavaria, both being medium-sized territories on important transport routes but also very different in terms of their political structure, one being a monarchy, the other being a republic and also in their religious orientation, one a stalwart of Catholic orthodoxy in the case of Bavaria, the other one of the early Zwinglian, that is, very reformed um, territories in the um, sort of Swiss Confederation. Beyond the two case studies, uh, I tried to look at other 
contexts, in terms of regional coverage, in terms of political and religious uh, orientation. This is mainly done through um, a flourishing and ever sort of expanding body of secondary literature. Many books have appeared over the last uh, couple of decades, so it is now uh, possible, as it were, to make larger comparative um, approaches to this topic. Uh, the case studies provide the, the archival, the main documentary basis for such uh, research, but we can now embed it in a larger literature, particularly for England and some of the other areas of the Holy Roman Empire in present-day Germany. The sources and documents we have for the study of public houses are thankfully very varied and very wide, so we have not just one type of or category of evidence, but rather an enormous, even bewildering uh, multitude, uh, not just written, but also visual and indeed material sources. So to start with the, the written evidence, which is clearly the one that dominates in historical study, we can range pretty widely from travel reports, that is, accounts, of uh, individuals visiting particular premises and then passing on their experience in sometimes enormous detail. Then we have registers of public houses compiled by authorities who had an interest in taxing them or rather in counting them. There are uh, sermons by venerated preachers who are talking in normally very critical um, discourse about these establishments. So we get a variety of perspectives just by looking at written evidence. But then perhaps uh, additionally we have visual categories of sources, woodcuts from the Reformation period, uh, Netherlandish paintings from the 17th century which also allow us glimpses into rural environments. We have road and town maps, so very practical, pragmatic kind of sources which allow the identification of locations and um, make us aware of where places were with regard to other key social sites such as churches or town halls. And that could be represented in the book by a, a number of, of colour illustrations, which I think uh, at least illustrates the, the variety of material we have. Last but not least, and often neglected, I think, in our sort of line of work, is the material evidence. We have surviving premises, at least a shell of many of these public houses are still available in towns and villages all across Europe. We have archaeological findings, not least from dicks in, uh, in latrines, which allow us insights into various kinds of diet regimes and when what was popular in the gastronomic cultures of these various establishments. So it's a challenge, I suppose, to combine these different types of evidence and make them answer questions that one individually could perhaps not uh, provide us answers to. The key arguments of this study are perhaps summarized uh, as follows, that uh, public houses in pre-industrial Europe provided the most important communication sites for the society at the time. There were multifunctional centers facilitating both face-to-face -face exchange as well as spatial mobility. In that sense, they linked the local with the global. When most uh, studies of the past have portrayed public houses as rather basic establishments for coarse types of male sociability, this book emphasizes their appeal to elites, their potential appeal to elites, and also to women 
It stresses their political dimensions. Many of these premises were used for local government business. They had court assemblies held in various inns across Central Europe. And uh, in contrast to the sort of um, basic uh, reputation in gastronomic history, I feel that at the top end of the market, at least, there was evidence for choice and rather more sophisticated catering, uh, which included luxury dining options for the very elite of European society. In terms of chronology, what we can see is a sort of an emergence of the phenomenon of commercial hospitality in the late Middle Ages, a steady expansion with some ups and downs, of course, in the early modern period, perhaps a peak in the golden age in the 18th century when the stagecoach revolution allowed this sort of key role in long-distance communication. And then after 1800, in the modern sort of liberal period of industrialized Europe, I would say they fragmented, uh, they lost their overarching importance for local society because ever more types of catering outlets were invented and ever more functions that the public house used to serve were farmed out into specialized institutions like theatres, like multi-purpose sort of town um, social centres and their golden age, I think, had come to an end by about 1800. Now, what the book and indeed these podcasts are going to do is to look at the phenomenon of public houses in three parts. And each of these three parts, again, in sort of two key thematic units. First part dealing with the context of public drinking, which addresses uh, questions of typology, of topography, of numbers. We then have uh, a section dedicated to functions of the early modern public house where the sort of bewildering versatility of uh, exchange we see on the premises is grouped into uh, subsistence on the one hand, that is public houses providing for the livelihood and indeed the um, comfort of both publicans and patrons. And then in the third part, public houses in early modern society in attempt to locate them more into general and cultural issues of the period, looking at how they interacted with other social sites and how, if at all, they interacted with larger processes like the emergence of the modern state, the confessionalization of life in the early modern period, and perhaps also the emergence of a so-called public sphere that is a, a venue for informed political reasoning among the population of the time. Dr. Kumin's book, Drinking Matters, Public Houses and Social Exchange in Early Modern Central Europe, is now available. This podcast was produced for the University of Warwick by Tom Abbott. The music was written and performed by Sean and Dylan Owen. <laughs>